is 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We do want to bless the name of the Lord this morning, and he has certainly blessed us. We're glad you're here. We're going to uh, spend just a few moments before we get into our sermon talking about where we believe God is leading us in this opportunity uh, to transform Angel Park into a place that can really connect with our friends and our neighbors with our community. You know, as recent as 25 years ago, where you sit right here, this plot of ground, there was not a structure standing as recent as 25 years ago. It was just uh, rough land, uneven land. I'm sure there were weeds, and I'm positive there were stickers on this corner lot. And in fact, this area, this prominent corner in Edmond was known to Edmond church members at the time, and it had been for 20 years as simply the 21 acres. If you were around back then, you remember that phrase, the 21 acres. That's what we all called it, because church leaders 20 years before that saw something different in this plot of ground, something different than just a rough patch of earth with stickers and weeds and a few trees. They saw a dream, they saw a vision, they saw potential. And so in 1979, 1979, 1980, right in there, our shepherds of this congregation chose to buy this piece of property, the 21 acres. And what is remarkable, one of the remarkable things about that decision and that whole process is that was only five years after we had moved into a brand new church building, a brand new facility just down 9th Street where OCA now calls home. Five years after we moved into that building, do you think there were some questions? Do you think there were some doubts, some second guesses? Of course there were. That's the nature of that kind of thing. That's the nature of it. But they decided to launch out in faith. You see, it takes faith to see potential, doesn't it? It takes faith to cast a vision. It takes an uncommon faith to be a part of helping a vision from God become a reality on earth. You see, most visions that really stretch us, they are hard for people to get behind. But thankfully, it's not up to people. It's not up to us. You see, through prayer and through discernment, we dream and we plan and we imagine. And then God steps in and he does what Paul tells us he does in Ephesians 3 verse 20. He does even more than we ask or imagine. And certainly God has done that through the history of this congregation. He helps us realize visions that can only be accomplished if he is behind them. And that's how we know he's behind them because on our own we can't do these things. It takes God to get them done. And so here, after all these years, we sit we worship together and we go to class together and we fellowship together 
we sit here because people back then had a vision and God blessed that vision this place this corner prominent corner in our town this facility this campus has become what they dreamed it would be and probably I'm guessing a lot more than they imagined it has become a hub of ministry and mission you probably don't know this but it is used virtually every day by people within the church and people in our community it has become a gathering place for worship and work it has become in many ways a lighthouse for our community we know God has been behind and will continue to be behind this vision throughout the years this congregation has been very generous to support the visions of the church leadership that come from God and certainly our church leaders have been great stewards of God's blessings and like that vision that began 45 years ago we feel like God is leading us right now to take the next step and that is to use that little patch of grass and stickers <laughs> across the creek as a place where we can really connect with others for the cause of Christ and in the name of Christ certainly as we have said we will use that space it will enhance so much of our uh, ministries here and our classes and so many things we do but but we want it to be more than that we want it to be a place where we connect with people who don't know Christ people who need to know the gospel need to embrace the gospel as you know as a part of this whole plan we are going to the plan is to replace that bridge over there that bridge is, uh, is pretty inadequate, it's, it's pretty small, and, and uh, the truth is erosion has taken place, and, and if that continues the way things are, the foundations of that bridge will no longer be able to support us. So we've, we've got to replace that bridge, and I got to thinking about that whole idea and the symbolism behind building a bridge into Angel Park. In many respects, that's what we're doing with this entire project. It is a bridge into our community it is a way for us to connect with our friends and neighbors with our community and in many ways and over many years it has been that to some extent we have things like our easter egg hunt and vbs marketplace and our fourth of july fireworks display and and we have schools come in and do some things over there we have sports teams practice over there so in many ways it has done that but it's time now to build a stronger bridge it's time to build a bigger bridge and I'm not just talking literal bridge it's time for us to take the next step in really connecting with our community we have this shared vision of what God can do through that space over there very unique space over there and I say it's a shared vision because even right now as you continue to brainstorm and pray and imagine your ideas are being submitted and we're thinking about how we can use that space and of course you will be a part of using that space to connect with others so the plan is dynamic it is adjustable Yes, we have these projected phases, and within each phase we have a wish list of items, but all of that can be modified. All of that can be molded to our specific opportunities, to our specific resources, to how God responds 
That's one of the exciting things about this plan, is it's not set in stone. We'll see where God takes us, and we'll try to obediently, humbly follow his lead. I know one of the uses that that many of us have suggested as we've brainstormed is that it really could be an enhanced place for our neighboring schools. With OCA, who already uses it a lot, with Will Rogers, who's right over here, and certainly with Sunshine School that meets in our building. Over the past several years, we've really tried to, to make strong relationships and form strong relationships with these schools. Some of you probably know that at the beginning of every school year, our church staff hosts the uh, administration and the faculty and the staff of OCA and also Will Rogers for a special luncheon, and we, we feed them and we pray over them and we try to encourage them and, and just thank them for what they do. And, and I remember when we started this several years ago, it was a little, they were a little uneasy with it, I think. You know, they, they didn't know what, what we were doing exactly, and they didn't know us. And now, all these years later, they love it. Of course, we love it, and we look forward to it, and they look forward to it. And so I, I, uh, I asked the, the principal over at Will Rogers, Anissa, Angie, uh, Angie or Dunn, to, um, to, to share with us some of her thoughts representing Will Rogers on this project that we're about to do. And she was so nice to sit down and just write out some of her thoughts. And I thought I would just read them to you. Here's what she said. She said, I would be remiss if I didn't start by saying how blessed we are to have the Edmund Church of Christ as our neighbors. And our entire staff shares this feeling. The vision you have for Angel Park is beautiful and it makes me proud to live in this community. I was able to attend the event a few Sundays ago at Angel Park And it was an honor to be able to be there. I felt so welcomed by everyone I spoke with, and it was such a happy evening for me. There has been a lot of excitement among our staff regarding Angel Park and the opportunities it would provide for us and our students. The field itself is perfect for rotations, centers, and activities that require a wide range of space. For example, in the spring, Will Rogers has a tradition of hosting field days for our students as we end the school year. But our current field is limited in terms of both space and scheduling around recess times. She goes on to say, an amphitheater opens up even more opportunities. Our students could perform and present. She said, I'm also picturing future family nights. Our family nights have a goal of providing a combination of parenting education and family activities. And Angel Park would be such an amazing place to host something like that. She went on to say, I have so many other ideas. They're just swirling around through my head. And I'm sure as we learn more about Angel Park and your vision and future developments, there will be even more ideas. The partnership with the Edmund Church of Christ is of the utmost importance to me and Will Rogers as a whole. I am so grateful for you and all you do and wish you all the best. What a wonderful encouragement by someone who is our neighbor, who sees this as an opportunity to make a stronger partnership and what we're trying to do. And then, of course, they're trying to bless the lives of, of young people. And we want to be a part of that as well, not just to bless their lives, but to bring them to Christ. And I, I've talked to Will at OCA. I know OCA and Sunshine School, they feel the same way about this wonderful opportunity. Some have asked about how we're going to manage, you know, outside groups using that space. And that's a fair question. And I, I just would tell you that already we have groups using what we currently have. We have groups here all the time, and so 
we have some things in place, and certainly we will put some things in place. We will address issues of logistics and scheduling and liability, all that will be taken care of. And I, and I really think a big part of the answer to that is the opportunity we have to be more hands-on. Someone has suggested the development of a hospitality team that is actually over in Angel Park when groups come, and we can just be there to host them. You need some more paper plates? Hey, we happen to have some. And, and build relationships and have meaningful conversations. What a great idea that is. The possibilities, the possibilities are endless. The ways to use that enhanced space to connect to our community, to build a bridge into people's lives, to ultimately build meaningful relationships and have intentional conversations. It's, it's endless, the possibilities are. And we know that as we imagine, as we dream, as we pray, that certainly God can do even more than we imagine. We put together a little video about this project. Watch this video. For over 20 years, we have dreamed of Angel Park as a special gathering place for our friends and neighbors to enjoy and experience the love of Christ. In many ways, it has been just that. With the Vacation Bible School Outdoor Marketplace, special events by neighboring schools, our annual Easter egg extravaganza, more recently the 4th of July fireworks display, and many other special events and gatherings. God has helped us to see the potential in that special patch of grass and sandburrs in the middle of our city. Now it's time to take the next step in seeing our God-given dream be more fully realized. It's time to expand our reach into the community. The Angel Park Community Project creates a unique outdoor space for our community and our congregation. A meditation station built into the city's walking trail, a large pavilion, outdoor amphitheater, fire pit, and communal green space highlight the project. The more we dream, pray, and talk about this project, the more great ideas we all have for how it can be used to connect to our friends and neighbors in the name of Jesus. Whatever we can imagine, God can do so much more. Join us in praying this simple yet powerful prayer. Lord, please do more than we can imagine. And give generously so we can use what God has given us to shine his light in this community. Maybe that helps give you a visual of, of what we're talking about over there. And, and then again, taps into the imagination of what God might do through that space over there. I want you to know that your shepherds are, are leading the way in helping this this dream, this, this vision become a reality. I was told that 100% of our shepherds have pledged and given, 100% of our ministry staff has pledged and given, and many of our deacons and ministry leaders have joined them in making an advanced commitment uh, to this project. And because of what has already been given, we have already surpassed phase one. We can do phase one, and we can already make uh, pretty good headway into phase two. And so I would ask that you would join your leadership in pledging and giving and in praying. There's a couple of ways you can do that. Obviously, uh, we want to make it as flexible and as adaptable as possible. The QR code on the screen, doing it online is probably the easiest way for most of us. You can scan that. It'll take you to a place where you fill out a pledge, and that's maybe a little confusing, but basically that says, what is the total gift that you would like to give to be a part of this project and and you don't have to give all of that now you can give it throughout next year but the total amount and then it'll give you a place where you can go and and make that first gift if you'd like to 
that's in the bulletin. It's been in emails. You can access that. Also, on the pew next to you, in fact, if you're on the ends of the pews, if you don't mind grabbing some of those envelopes and just sort of passing them down the aisles, distribute them among uh, your, your people on your pews there. Some of you may prefer a, a papal, paper physical card, and that's perfectly fine. Sometimes it's helpful to have it right in front of you. I think the QR code is also on that card as well. And if you prefer to fill that out and include a check, put that in that privacy envelope, and you can put that out in the lobby. There are some boxes that are easily designated, easily visible seen there that you can put those cards in. If for some reason you're here today and this is the first you've heard of it, then that's fine. Take that card home with you. Pray about it. It doesn't all have to happen today. Uh, In fact, what we're asking people is, yes, to give today, but also to give next year. And next year, Give monthly, weekly, quarterly, one, you know, one-time gift, whatever works best for you. And so if you need to take that home and talk about it and pray about it, that is perfectly fine. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And so please do that. Or if you need more time to think about it and pray about it, or your finances, you're not quite sure how the end of the year is going to end up, take it home and, and pray about it and think about it. That's, that's uh, perfectly, perfectly fine. But we want everyone to be a part of this. Whatever you give, as, as little or as much as you give, we want everyone to be a part of this. We want to do this together. And so now let's pause and let's spend some time in prayer asking God to work through our offerings and to bless this great vision that he has given us for that space. Let's join together and pray. Father God, thank you so much. As we look back on our history as we did recently, we see your fingerprints in our story. We see you writing our story. Father, thank you for the life that you continue to breathe in this congregation, that, that we can be a, a, a place in this community, a people in this community that, that truly try to represent you and share your love and your message, the gospel, the good news with those around us. Father, you continue to give us so many opportunities to do that around the world, but also right here. Help us to see those opportunities. Help us to step boldly and faithfully into those opportunities. God, we know that as we do that, as we answer your call in our lives, it will require things of us. It will require resources and time and effort and money and and giftedness. And Father, we know that's, that's our calling. That's a part of it. And so we thank you for those opportunities, for those responsibilities. Father, we just pray that we can Uh, we can live life with open hands that we can be generous as you are generous and father help us to uh, to see what you're doing and to have the faith to join in what you're doing and father we just thank you we thank you so much for being such a good god for being a gracious god for being a generous god father we when we look at our lives we have it so well even when life gets tough we know that in the big picture in the picture of eternity Father, we are in good hands because we belong to you. Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for working in our lives. Continue to be with us as we move forward, not only with this project, but with all aspects of life and ministry and mission here. Father, our prayer is that you would use us to make disciples. So, Father, we lift this this day up, these offerings up, these gifts up, these prayers, these conversations, and this project up for your for your work, and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, thank you so much for for being a part of this, and thank you for your continued generosity and your involvement. If you have a Bible, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's going to be our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
We are beginning a new sermon series this morning called The Generous Life. And certainly that fits into what we just talked about as we participate by giving and sacrificing. But it also fits into just the nature of this season, doesn't it? When so many people are thinking about giving, you're probably Christmas shopping right now, right? You're on Amazon and you're going to stores and you're, you're wanting to give gifts. A lot of people are thinking about giving and serving and so it certainly fits into this season. But as we all know and certainly as Christians we know that generosity is not just seasonal. It is a way of life. It is a mindset. It is a constant decision we make that God would pour through us, not just in us, but through us. It's the decision and the mindset, the lifestyle that says, I'm not going to live life with clenched fists, holding the things of this world closely and tightly to me. But I'm going to live with an open heart and open hands to the world around me so that I can express my love for God and my love for neighbors with what God has given me. That's the idea of a generous life. We do have bookmarks, as we do for most of our new series. Those are out in the lobby. The Discovery Bible Study bookmarks are out there. They're also online on the church website under resources. You can access those there as well. So before we get to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want us to start much earlier. Back in the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 27, we read those words that most of us know that we were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. God created us in his image image what does it mean to be created in the image of God people have explored this question for generations and people still are asking this question and I think it's a great question to ask what does it mean to be an image bearer of the most high God does it mean that we have intellect and the ability to reason not exactly like God but certainly above the animals and other creatures does it mean that we have Uh, the capacity to feel and to to love does it mean we have a spiritual nature a soul does it mean that in some regard that we are co-creators with God in this world what does it mean to bear the image of God it probably means a lot of that but maybe one helpful way to think about it is that image is the same thing as picture and in fact the, the word has some of those meanings an image or a picture Right? When you go to the doctor and they scan you, you have an image, it's a picture, and it tells something about you. As image bearers of God, we represent God. We hold up a picture with our lives to the world so that they can see or get a glimpse of God. In some way, we reflect the nature of God. Certainly not his full nature. But there's something about God that we can reflect in this world as we hold up an image or hold up a picture of him. And one of the things that we know about God is that he likes to give. No image or picture of God is complete without talking about, without highlighting his generosity. Consider what is probably the most well-known scripture, maybe in the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, John 3, 16. Maybe you know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. He gave his only begotten son. You see, love and giving are eternally linked together. Giving is an extension of love. When we truly love, we freely give. 
God so loved the world that he gave. That's the nature of God. And as we bear the image or the picture of God in this world, we are meant to love like God and give like God. We were made to give. But we so often get confused, we so often forget that, and we think we're made to consume. After all, that's what we do from day one, right? Consume. Americans certainly like to consume. Research shows that the average American, listen to this, the average American adult consumes about eight hours of media per day. That's the average, eight hours of media, TV, streaming, social media, gaming, those types of things, eight hours of media. Some of you are thinking, well, I, I'm bringing that average up, right? Eight hours, that's a lot of consumption. I read somewhere else that Americans eat 815 billion calories of food each day. I think that's all of us, hopefully. 815 billion calories of food per day. That's a lot of McRibs, isn't it? <laughs> you have to refer back a couple of weeks to McRib. I can't. A lot of comments on the McRib. That's fine. 815 billion calories. The article went on to say that we, get this, we consume roughly 200 billion more calories than we need. And with those 200 billion calories, we could feed 80 million people. We love to consume. Another bit of research was analyzing the consumption patterns of Americans, including food and energy, energy and natural resources. And this is what it said. It says, if everyone on earth, everyone on earth lived as Americans, we would need 4.2 earths to sustain all of us. Hmm. That may be an indictment on our love of consumption. But consumption is necessary, isn't it? We need to consume to survive. And if we were merely physical beings, then maybe consumption would be our primary purpose here. But we aren't, and it's not. I think Paul gives us perspective on who we are on who God made us to be, and then what that means is we live out this reflection of God, as we bear this image of God in the world. And that's what takes us to our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse, 10, uh, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So often when we hear that verse or we read that verse, we're very quick to point out that it says, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, right? What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. And that's true. But if we're honest, how many of us struggle sometimes to separate our money from our heart's affections? Let me say it another way. How strong is your desire for money? Notice the additional words Paul uses here. Did you see in the text there? Notice these additional words. Verse 9 those who want to get rich. Verse 10, the love of money. 
later in verse 10 some people who are eager for money those words begin to paint a picture of what Paul is talking about and they also reflect the nature of our hearts it's a matter of the heart we desire we pursue we are eager we chase we consume why because we think it will provide what we're looking for what we need most it will help us live our best life but what if that's not what the one who designed life and created you had in mind when he designed life and especially your life what if the abundant life that Jesus talked about has really nothing to do with the abundance of worldly wealth or material possessions what if we weren't created primarily to consume back in our text verse 11 notice how Paul turns the page but you man of God of course he's talking directly to Timothy but it extends to all of us flee from all of this and pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything what does Paul say? He says, flee from this obsession with consumption. Run instead to things that matter most, to things that will last, to righteousness, godliness. And what is godliness? Trying to be like God, trying to represent or, or show a picture, an image of God in this world, to faith, to love, to endurance, to gentleness. He says, pursue those things, chase those things, because those are the things that truly matter. That's who God made you to be. He didn't make you to be someone who just consumes the things of this world so that you can be happy. And then we have in verse 13, this reminder about the nature of God. In the sight of God, he says, who gives life to everything. You see, all of Paul's giving ethics in other words all the teachings on what it means to be generous and to give are grounded they are anchored in who God is and as an image bearer of God that means they are anchored in who we are and who we choose to be as we live our lives you see God is a generous giver scripture makes that clear but if most of us are honest with ourselves and we truly reflect on the nature of God, we come to that same conclusion, don't we? Yes, we have hard times. Yes, sometimes our prayers don't go like we wish they would or the answers to those prayers. But when we reflect on our lives, we can't help but to see that God is a good, generous, gracious God. He is good to us. And so if we are made in his image, we are to reflect that goodness and that grace and that generosity that that then becomes our default setting not to hoard and grab and pursue the things of this world but to release them to share them to give them and that's what Paul goes on to say here as he gets really practical with his application of this truth verse 17 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant but to put their hope in, or not to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides, again, the nature of God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What does Paul say there? He says, first of all, don't put your hope in wealth. When you begin to put your hope in the things of this world, he says, you become arrogant. In other words, you become self-reliant. Look at all that I have done. Look at all that I have. Look at this life that I have built and created. And the more arrogant and self-reliant we become, the less we rely on God. He says, don't put your hope in wealth. It's so, what word does he use in English? It's uncertain. It's so uncertain. Found that to be true recently? Many times? It's so uncertain. Someone said this about money. There is trouble in the getting of it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. (laughs) There is temptation in the use of it. There is guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. And there is strife in the leaving of it. (laughs) It is so uncertain. He says, don't put your hope there. It will let you down. But instead, what does he say? Put your hope in God. God who richly provides Again, Paul points out the very nature of God as a giver, a generous giver. And he doesn't just give, he says he gives life. He doesn't just provide, he provides everything for our enjoyment. That's interesting, isn't it? God provides everything for your enjoyment. You say, well, doesn't enjoyment imply consumption? I get that. This past week, someone Someone brought in a leftover bunt cake from that bunt cake place. I'm not sure the name of it. What is it? Nothing but bunts? Is that it? Okay, I got some nods there. Yeah, so it was leftover for something. They they brought it in the in the office. We we are always happy to take all the leftovers from parties and fellowships and ministry events. And so I I saw that. I didn't take any enjoyment in just looking at it, right? I mean it it looked nice pretty fancy big fancy box but there really wasn't much enjoyment in in looking at it but I got to tell you I did enjoy tasting it consuming it it was a really good cake I'm not sure why they call it a bunt cake it was more like a home run cake in my book it was it was not a bunt it was it was really good And here we read that God gives us everything for our enjoyment, and and that confuses us sometimes. I believe God does give his children things to enjoy, like every loving parent does. But God doesn't give us good things only for us to absorb them and keep them to ourselves, but rather to extend them, to pass them on, to share them. And so I think as Paul continues in this text, he explains, I think, what enjoyment looks like in God's kingdom, which is very countercultural, very against the values of the world. So God gives us everything for our enjoyment. Well, what does that mean exactly? Just for us? Paul continues in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is what? Truly life. He says, be generous, be giving, share with those around you, and as you do that, you are taking hold 
of the very life God created you to live. True life, abundant life. That phrase there in verse 18, willing to share, when you look at the original language, it comes from that Greek word koinonia. You, you may not know Greek, but you've probably heard that word if you've been around church very long at all. Koinonia, it means fellowship. I think he's getting at something deeper than just giving money. He's saying, you give your lives. You, you join into this community of, of loving your neighbor so much so that you do life together. You share life together. It's this deep sense of, of fellowship. You know, sometimes giving is just sort of writing a check, and that's, that's good, that's fine. Or, or giving someone money who's in your family or a friend and they need help, that's good. But in the kingdom of God, reflecting the nature of God, giving is so much more. It is this deep sense of, of sharing all that we have, sharing our lives, this deep sense of, of fellowship. And when we live this way, when we embrace the generous life, we become our authentic selves, I think. As Paul says, we do what? We take hold of the life that is truly life. So many people are searching for life. What is life about? I, I, you know, what does it mean to live this life, to have fulfillment and happiness? And right here he says, when you embrace the generous life, you begin to take hold of. You begin to embrace and hold on to what life is all about. True life. We were created to be generous givers, not just constant consumers. God has put eternity in our hearts. And when we reflect the image of God in this world, we begin to focus not on this world, but on eternity. Throughout this text, Paul has this illusion, more than an illusion, this direct recasting of our vision beyond the here and the now to eternity, to the coming age as he words it. You see, we have to see above and beyond the things of this world that are so tempting, that are so alluring and see that there is greater treasure, the treasures of heaven. Here's the bottom line. You were made to give because God is a generous giver and you were made in his image to bear a picture of him in this world. You were made to give. Maybe you've never really thought about your life in that, in that sense or in that context, this, this idea of, of, well, I do give, but, but recasting all of that, and that's who you are. You, you live your life not acquiring, not accumulating, but sharing and blessing and giving. A few years ago, a 10-year-old girl named Kalina wrote a note to the tooth fairy asking for extra cash... <laughs> for her lost tooth. I didn't know that was an option. Kids, you might want to try it. I'm just saying. But she asked the tooth fairy for extra money, not because she was greedy or she wanted to buy a, a toy. She actually wanted the extra money so that she could help refugees in her hometown. You see, she had already saved up much of the money, virtually all of the money from her allowance, and she even asked her parents for extra jobs around the house so that she could earn some more money. And with the windfall of the $5 she got from the tooth fairy, she put all of her money together and she had $157. She donated all of it to an organization in her hometown that helps refugees. 
When someone asked her mother about it, she said, I'm not surprised. She's always been like this. Since she was four years old, she always just sort of gave away whatever she had, especially if it could help others. And here's what she said. Her mom said, it's in her heart. It's just in her heart. It's in her heart. I think science is working on research now uh, that may show that it's not just in her heart, but it's in her DNA. Early studies have shown a connection, a connection between altruism and genetics. In other words, it may be in our genetic code that we are more apt to be generous or to share or to give. I don't know. I'm not sure if generosity is passed on genetically, but I can tell you this. As a child of God, it is in your spiritual DNA. Because your father, your heavenly father, is a generous giver. And he made you to be a generous giver. And so as you go out into the world this week, let me ask you to just be the person God made you to be. To be a generous giver. What does that look like in your life? Only you can answer that because we all have different contexts, different relationships, different opportunities. But my prayer is that God will put, us, put it on our hearts this week to be our true, authentic selves, the ones he made us to be, reflecting his image, a picture of him in this world, by giving, by being generous, by being kind, by being loving, by being humble. If we can help you in some way, if we can encourage you, let us do that. We'd love to pray for you. In just a minute, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor right behind me, a little room. You can stop by there, and they'll encourage you and pray for you, or you can come down to the front. We as a church family will surround you and pray for you, encourage you. Maybe today you're ready to give what is most important, the thing that you need to give, that we all need to give, and that is our lives, to the one who gave his life. Maybe today you're ready to confess that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and to be baptized into Christ, buried with Christ, raised to live this new life that honors Christ, that you would take hold of the life that is truly life. If we can help you do that, we certainly want to. We want to celebrate with you. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.